to Reader's Digress, the podcast where we read nonfiction so that you don't have to, unless you want to. I'm Kate. And I'm Molly. And today we're doing something a little different. So instead of talking about a nonfiction book, we're talking about two articles. We did this last year when we did um, a Jeopardy follow-up and then a Theranos (laughs) follow-up. And now we're doing two fresh new articles about Instagram, plastic surgery, and the way it's changing our faces and asses. <laughs> and <laughs> the first article that we're going to cover is called The Age of Instagram Face, How Social Media, Facetune, and Plastic Surgery Created a Single Cyborgian Look by Gia Tolentino. And this was originally published in The New Yorker. And we're doing another one called Brazilian Butt Lift. Behind the World's Most Dangerous Cosmetic Surgery by Sophie Elmquist. And this was originally published in The Guardian. Yes. And just a quick spoiler alert. uh, Kim Kardashian is indeed the villain of this episode. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) If you were wondering. I'm sure you were. (laughs) I'm not going to like shit on them for making money off of their bodies, but. I'm not going to not shit. <laughs> I'm not going to okay? celebrate that for you. You're like, I'm not, I'm not behind it. I'm not behind um, her behind. My, I'm not behind her behind in any fashion. Um, I will never stop laughing about the time that I, this was a, many years ago, and I wouldn't talk about <laughs> women's bodies in this way anymore. But at the time, I made a joke to Kate about how like terrible Kim Kardashian's ass looked with her like filler or implants or whatever she had. And I was going on and on about it. And finally I showed her a photo. I might've said something about it looking like a dirty diaper. I don't know, but I showed Kate a photo and Kate's husband, Chris saw it also. And he was like, Oh my God, it, it wasn't that bad. Like the way you were talking about it, I thought it was going to look like a bag of gravel. <laughs> yeah. Two lopsided bags of gravel. <laughs> the funniest thing anyone has ever said. Again, I wouldn't talk about a woman's body like that. No. Okay, but at the time I was maybe less evolved, and Chris is hilarious. Oh, gosh, I'm dead. Anyway, um, this is one of my favorite topics because I am just so fascinated by plastic surgery, the influence of social media. I think it it's easy to be like, social media is ruining our brains, and I do think that it is, um, but that's not a nuanced take like social media has benefits too so i'm not here just to like shit on social media but i am absolutely fascinated by how much it affects us and how it's changing the way we look literally Mm -hmm. so yeah i think it's really interesting to think about the way that uh social media has changed our brains to then change our bodies (laughs) which we'll talk about a little deeper but it's yeah it's definitely fascinating it's like you know People have cared about what they look like to other people because we're social beings since as long as we've been around. So, you know, obviously we know that in antiquity they were wearing, you know, beautiful clothing and and jewelry and corsets or whatever. Uh, And this is just, to me, sort of a 
a shapeshift of that. It's the, the mm-hmm. new form of mm-hmm. it, but it's definitely a completely different, um, I don't know, evolution. It is. And I, I think in the age of Instagram face article, at one point she talks about how obviously we have been changing our bodies for centuries. Um, Chinese foot binding is one that she mentions, which is a really good example of how we've like damaged our bodies to look the or to meet the standard of beauty so it's not like we have just started doing this because of social media Mm -hmm. um but it's weird because if you you know back in like say the 90s or something if someone had talked about the foot binding it would have been like this is so bad but we somehow haven't evolved enough to be like okay so stop doing it right (laughs) right we, we are still doing it even though we all at one point agreed that that was like a horrible thing and that like corsets are like a horrible you know torture device yeah exactly it's like oh (laughs) i know i think everyone looks at it like oh how archaic and then it's like okay but you're encouraging eating disorders and plastic surgery so how far have we really come (laughs) it's like why would i wear a corset when i can just get ribs removed yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) why would i need a corset Um, when i can just take out the ribs you guys it's that's what don't be insane yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah so anyway that's what we're gonna talk about today um all right shall i start with summarizing the age of instagram yes please do okay this we'll see how good this is i wrote this last night kind of in mm, a tired (laughs) fugue state tired state yeah yeah exactly (laughs) relatable Um, so uh the age of instagram face is about how instagram is morphing morphing our faces into a single kind of face first popularized by the kardashians and accelerated by filters and photoshop apps there is a specific face people are trying to have. This imitation and replication has become more and more common as plastic surgery advances and things like fillers and Botox become cheaper and more accessible to non-famous or semi-famous people. Over time, this has created a real-life Instagram filter that is both enthralling and creepy. And in this article, <laughs> Gia... <laughs> creepy. Yes. Capital C. Uh, in this article, Gia Tolentino, the author, goes to several different plastic surgeons throughout, I think, like the L.A., San Francisco area. And at first, she poses as someone who is genuinely interested in getting cosmetic procedures. And then she realizes as she meets with people that they don't even care if she's a reporter. They'll just talk to her. She doesn't have to hide it. And so she just tries to find out, like, what kinds of people get these procedures? How do the doctors who provide them sell them um what is the culture around it and and what where does it end i think is kind of what she's trying to figure out and and why are we all obsessed with this one look and i don't know that she like solves all of those questions in the course of the article but she does conclude that a lot of it has to do with the way so much of these images get shared on social media And whether the images are real or not, people absorb it as if it is real and something to emulate. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that photo you saw of the girl is just face tuned and her face doesn't actually look like that. But you can go out and try to buy that face. Um, And more and more people are trying to do that. And so for those of you listening, I don't know if you can picture what the Instagram face looks like. We'll have to link Um, a picture. Yeah, we'll have to do that. But it's kind of the full lips, the the cat-like eye, and, like, hot, full high cheekbones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's the summary for that one. Okay. Uh, So I will share the summary for 
The butt article. The butt one. <laughs> it sounds like we're like DJs on like a terrible morning shock jock show. But. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> butts, 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 butts. Okay, I'm done. We need like a soundboard. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. A Brazilian butt lift, also known as BBL, or as the British called it throughout the article, uh, Brazilian bum lift, which made me laugh every time, so funny. Uh, My- <laughs> is the most popular cosmetic surgery. It's also one of the most dangerous. Uh, so one in 3,000 people die from them every year. And uh, the procedure involves removing fat from various parts of the body with liposuction and injecting it back into the butt to create a bigger, rounder butt. <laughs> I've said Look. butt so many times. Okay. But. Just keep baby. going. Yes, uh, keep going. The danger comes from the risk of injecting fat into the bloodstream and causing a fatal pulmonary aneurysm. So mm-hmm. I, at first understood that this was a dangerous procedure i i thought just because it's surgery it was dangerous but i understood in the article that it's like oh no you if you have some of this re-injected fat get into your bloodstream you will die uh so that's kind of the the danger of it Mm -hmm. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the twisted web of the cultural appropriation and context of the procedure as well, um, as inspired by the reporting of Sophie Elmhurst. Is it? What is it? Elmquist. Elmquist. I think Elmquist. Uh, So, yeah, I think this is going to be a really uh, interesting conversation. Yes. Let me read a couple of notes I made for myself about the BBL article. Because again, I did this when I was like kind of tired. Um, So wow, what a ride. This is what I have to say. (laughs) The BBL is the fastest growing plastic surgery procedure in the world and it's the most dangerous. Obviously, you already said that. And guess who started it? Kim Kardashian, baby. Am I glad that they pulled us out of the horrific heroin (laughs) chic era? Yeah. But does that make up for everything else they've done? No. (laughs) This surgery has become so popular in part because of social media. So as our faces are morphing into the same face, our bodies are morphing into the same body. And honestly, it's fucking boring. (laughs) So speaking of which, I was watching, uh, yes, I am going to admit this, Love is Blind on Netflix. Yes. And one of the contestants, if you don't know what the show is, essentially it's that people date in these sort of separate rooms and don't get to see each other until they decide to get engaged and then but they talk right I've never yes seen yes it. they talk to one okay. another and they they have these conversations but they don't get to see each other until one of them proposes and oh then God, th- so when bad. they meet each other they're Shit. engaged and then at the end they have to decide whether to go through with the marriage or to leave one or the other at the altar wow. and one of the contestants uh he told he um <laughs> So he was talking with an uh, Indian woman, he's Indian, uh-huh. and said uh, that he only ever dated blonde, blue-eyed white women. And I literally groaned at the TV and was like, how original. Like, I was so yeah. like, yes. <laughs> like, like, oh, so... wow, a blonde, blue-eyed girl. Gosh, you're wow. so interesting. You're, <laughs> you're the only one who's ever been attracted to Marilyn Monroe. Shut Boring. up. <laughs> anyway, so... It was related. Some better material. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and also the whole thing of like pretending to be something you're not. Like one of the things in the Brazilian butt lift article that Sophie mentions is that one of the women she's interviewing who has had a BBL talks about how some of her friends have 
facetuned or photoshopped their photos so much on dating apps that they can't actually meet up with anyone because they don't look like they do i felt like that was so sad it's so sad and also call me a naive little baby but i just don't believe that people do that like i've never edited my photos on a dating app beyond maybe like blurring out a zit or something I've never, like, tried to make my ass look bigger or whatever. And there's this part of me that's like, people don't really do that. But obviously they do. And it's like, I don't wish that mindfuck on anyone. To, And I don't mean the men. I don't care about the men who don't get a big ass No, but the lonely women who have to just sit at home because they feel like their bodies aren't good enough to be loved or worthy of going out on a date and having a good time like that's very sad exactly it is it's so sad um so where should we start in this labyrinth of pain (laughs) (laughs) um so uh one of the key takeaways i had was stop just stop please everyone yes Yes. I do have some more nuanced key takeaways that I also want to touch on. One of which was that throughout both of these articles, they mention both the the doctors and the reporters that beauty standards are something that does indeed fall in and out of fashion and that it changes over the decades. And so there were a lot of questions about what happens when this look, whether you're talking about the kind of facial Instagram face or this Kim Kardashian body uh, falls out of fashion. And what does that mean for all of these people that have gone out of their way to surgically reconstruct what their natural uh, figure or face looks like? And I thought that was such a fascinating way of thinking about things and reminded me of a story of when I was in eighth grade. And one of the girls on my, like, volleyball team or something, I think we were changing for gym class, and Mm -hmm. one of the girls was like, oh, Kate, you have a big butt. And I was so – I was like, oh, no, you're not supposed to say that. And I was like, you know, like, aghast. Because in, you know, in the early 2000s, that was not something that you, like, necessarily wanted, and it was not seen – you were supposed to look like Britney Spears, which is to say – Petite. And uh, someone then said to me, one of my friends was like, no, it's like a good thing. It's like having a big thing for a guy. (laughs) And I specifically remember her saying that line because it still makes me so just laugh so hard because like she wasn't old enough to even say like dick or (laughs) anything. But but we had knew we knew the beauty standards. And um I think, like, knowing that just in our lifetime how much, like, beauty standards have changed and how much Mm -hmm. the sex symbol has changed from Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. Britney Spears type to a J-Lo to a Kim Kardashian Mm -hmm. is really fascinating to me because we think about Mm -hmm. clothes going in and out of fashion, but to talk about bodies going in and out of fashion is completely different to me i don't know well and i think when you're talking about like bodies going in and out of fashion there is this kind of weird thing that happens too where for women what is considered attractive like what they are aspiring to versus what men find attractive is sometimes different because like back in the 2000s i do think that britney spears was like the male you know heartthrob Mm -hmm. ideal 
But for women, it was almost like Paris Hilton, Mary Kate, and Ashley Olsen, like anorexic level thin was what women were aspiring to. Yeah. And Britney Spears, I don't think was ever, I mean, she was obviously extremely thin, but in comparison to some of the women who I think were actively dying while trying to be thin, she wasn't as thin as that. But so there's this kind of disconnect that happens sometimes too, where absolutely there are competing standards. And I do feel kind of like in the last decade, they've leveled out a little bit more where both men and women are like, yes, the ideal is Kim Kardashian, which is kind of a weird thing that's happened. Yeah, that reminds me of my quote, but we will get to that a little bit later. So I want to hear your key takeaways. This is mine. And I kind of already like uh, said it, but a few weeks ago I was on TikTok as I am 100%. (laughs) 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 And I saw a video about a girl and something you can do on TikTok is respond in a video to a comment someone has left on another video. And you'll see the comment up near the top of the the screen as they're talking in response to this comment. And the comment said something about what's it like being God's favorite? And what that person meant was like, you're so beautiful. Like, what's that like? And so the person making the video was like, I really appreciate that, but let me just break this down for you. Um, I have filler in my lips. I have filler in my cheeks. I have Botox. I have my eyebrows are microbladed. My freckles are fake. And she like went through a few more things about her appearance that were not naturally occurring for her. And truly, I would never have looked at her and thought that. And it made me again, have this moment of like, I'm so naive that I think people just look like this. Like, yeah. Because I just look like this. I assume everyone else just looks like that. They just look and like they how they don't. look. Right, right. Yeah, like they they spent money. They took time. They probably obsessed for hours about these things mm-hmm. to look that way, to look natural as if nothing has been done to them. And so it just, it reiterated what I've like learned through these articles, which is that this is extremely common. It's not only dangerous physically, it's dangerous mentally. And we have to learn how to protect ourselves from comparing ourselves to people on the internet because we have no idea what they may have done to look the way they look, that they look. Yeah. And with someone like Kim Kardashian, we know she doesn't look that way, <laughs> even though she pretends she just looks that way. But there are other people with, you know, only a thousand followers or whatever who have also done things to look that way. Yeah. And just people, you know, from high school or go to work with or whatever that don't actually naturally look that way. Yeah. And so we need to like cut ourselves some slack and just remember that even reality is no longer real. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, to your point about Kim Kardashian, even she herself released a book of selfies over the years, I think in 2019 or something where Mm -hmm. you can literally see the evolution of her face. I don't think that she has admitted that she's had a Brazilian butt lift. I think she has talked about fillers and Botox, but not about kind of what I would term like hardcore plastic surgery. But there's no doubt that her face shape looks quite Mm -hmm. different than it did when she first became famous. And so does her body for that matter. Absolutely. And it's not just a matter of like losing weight or something. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of these like your physical uh, makeup just being completely different. And right. it is like 
very difficult to look at images of women where you're internalizing that as being real. And then later to find out that they've had so many different changes. And a lot of people view it as an investment, right? If you have a business and your business is selling your image, you view it as an investment to get a boob job or to get cheek fillers or a Brazilian butt lift or whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. I think understanding this as sort of a business and that people do make money from these images after they have altered their bodies is an important part of the puzzle here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not just about feeling good in your body or having people be attracted to you. It's about commodifying something that you have so you can make money off of it. And I, there's, it's, it's hard because on one side of it, you think, well, that's good that women have the power to finally have more agency and, and utilize what they have in society to make money. But on the other hand, it it feels like repackaged patriarchy, that the only thing you have to make money off of is your body. And just because you have more agency or you have Instagram that you can do that on now, I don't, I'm not fully convinced that it is actually empowerment. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's like a, you know, it's a nuanced thing. I'm not going to say across the board, like that it isn't, but there's a question mark there for me for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think to the people who get the opportunity to repackage these different elements is also really important mm-hmm. to talk about. In terms of like commodifying our bodies and that like, oh, this is female empowerment. I think you have to look at who is making money off of the surgeries and overwhelmingly it is men. So in that way, it makes it hard for me to swallow that pill of like, oh, yeah, this is female empowerment when the people getting actually wealthy off of this are not women. Anyway, that's my um, soapbox. And I'll turn (laughs) it over to you, Kate. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Uh, So the doctor that does the BBLs that was featured in the article is Dr. Glancy. And Dr. Glancy told the reporter that around half of the inquiries for BBLs are from Black women. And so I want to read a little quote uh, that's directly related to that. Following the chain of cultural appropriation that has led to this point is bewildering. The notion of the idealized Brazilian bottom, which some rich white Brazilian women disdain because of its stereotypical associations with biracial women, has become desired shape among certain white women in the U.S. and Europe, who are in turn emulating a body shape artificially constructed and popularized by an Armenian American woman who is often accused of appropriating a black aesthetic which some Black women then feel compelled to copy, not having the idealized body shape they believe they're supposed to have naturally. So what's happening here is that essentially white women are emulating what they perceive as idealized versions of Black women's bodies, whether that's a Mm -hmm. larger butt or bigger lips or whatever, Mm -hmm. repackaging it in this idealized nearly impossible to attain version and then selling Mm -hmm. it back to everyone. And it's another version of 
something that I've heard many times, which is that Americans, and I'm sure to a certain extent this also applies in Europe, uh, Americans love blackness, but not black people. And that they are constantly emulating pieces of blackness, but don't want to actually value the humans that that culture stems from. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I think that especially when you're talking about the BBL, it, you can't have a fully informed conversation about it without investigating the ways it relates to race and especially blackness because it was so popularized by Kim Kardashian and she, most of what she is doing is an appropriation of black culture. And she, we could get into that in a whole other podcast, but yeah, it, it's, <laughs> that's a, a lot to talk about. <laughs> Whether like intentional or unintentional, it doesn't necessarily matter. It's the overall effect is that she borrowed these elements of, of like a black woman's body and is now like making so much money off of it. And like you said, selling it back to black women. Yeah. So, And I also think because uh, race is a, a cultural thing and that uh, different countries understand race in different ways, it's telling that in Brazil, the white women there do not want to look like they are biracial because they mm, view that mm-hmm. as a quote unquote bad thing. And then in America and Europe, where we have a different constructed racism uh Mm -hmm. it's that they do want to borrow these pieces of blackness but they don't want they still are only positioned to be this ideal beauty if they start out as white because Mm -hmm. they want to have the perfect tone of tan skin and they want to have the white european nose and they want to have the other you know somewhat european features and so white hair right right blondness so it's just you know very nuanced that depending Mm -hmm. on your cultural context this adjustment to your body means something very different yeah I'm going to read a quote from the BBL article, too, that it plays into this. And I just got, when I read this part, I had such a gross feeling about two different things. So I'll read it and then we'll talk about oh, it. Oh, no, I think I know what it is. <laughs> like anyone inspecting their own body, Melissa. So Melissa is the one of the women she interviews throughout this who has received a BBL. And in this part of the article, she is in the doctor's office looking at herself and deciding what she wants to change next. So Melissa could see things that no one else could see. She wasn't seeing just its current form in the mirror, but multiple versions. Her former body, her desired body, her digital body. In her teens, nearly a decade ago, when Cara Delevingne's thigh gap had its own Twitter account, Melissa had wanted to be thin and flat like everyone else. Then fashion changed. Explaining why she got her first BBL, Melissa, who is white, said she had wanted to fill out a pair of jeans and appeal to the kind of men she liked. I felt attracted to black and mixed race men, and they liked curvier women, she told me. Um, so two things. The fact that Kara's thigh gap had a Twitter account. I know. No wonder we were all starving ourselves. You remember that moment, though, the thigh gap moment where that was a big oh, thing, right? Yeah. I remember it I also because remember I remember being that... like, yeah, my thighs will always touch. That's not a thing always. for me. <laughs> well, I it took me a long time to realize that I wasn't like failing because my thighs touched, that it was just like the way my body was. But oh, yeah, I I definitely remember that. It was a miserable time in my life when I was trying to get my thighs not to touch, which is physically impossible for me. 
yuck. Um, so yeah, that was that was tough. But then the end of this, the felt attracted to black and mixed race men, and they liked her women. I just felt like there was so much gross to unpack mm-hmm. with that statement that like it's like three levels I, of racism. Yeah, like exactly. And I think the thing that stands out to me the most, which maybe this is because I like don't even know enough about it to have feelings about it, but. Just to sum all, like, black and mixed race men up in that they like curvier women is such a, like, ugh, take. And also, to clarify, earlier when I was talking about men liking Britney Spears, I meant, like, straight men in the United States. Like, that was, it seems like when we were in high school, like, straight men were lusting after, not even high school, middle school. (laughs) What was, Chad? (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because she was only 16, so. Oof, oof. That's another gross part of it. Okay, anyway. Anyway, that's what I meant by men like this and whatever. I was talking about straight people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. But yeah, I don't know. Tell me what you think about this. I felt attracted to these types of men and they like this type of woman statement because I was yuck about it. I Yeah, I also like immediately got a little nauseous and felt very uncomfortable. I almost pulled that as my quote as well because you're correct. She's stereotyping like black and mixed race men into liking a certain body type. But then the other kind of side of it is that she says curvier women. Well, define curvier because that's like not even a ubiquitous term. So to say that and then go after a very specific kind of body is not even necessarily that uh, a one-to-one, you know? There, there are a lot of ways that that manifests so her thinking is wrong on like multiple different parts and it also and i don't think she expands on this but i think is kind of a red flag too is that it sounds like she's also maybe fetish fetishizing black men and latino men or, or biracial men uh because she thinks that they're the sexiest and it's fine to have your attractions she doesn't really expand on this point but there is a long history of black men being fetishized and then murdered because of their um interactions or lack thereof with white women and so in the united states at least that's a really important piece of the puzzle too because Mm -hmm. you're talking about a really rich history that i hesitate to know if she actually understands or has engaged with critically yeah that that was the other layer of it too that made me feel gross about it was the way she talked about being attracted to this type of man which i mean oh yeah like you said we all do have our like aesthetic or whatever attracted attraction preferences but i just think it would be i would feel so weirded out if someone told me that oh i only like white men or i only like asian men like i would just be like ew like ew if you do (laughs) just keep it yourself (laughs) like i just i just think you have something going on if if that's there's only one race of person that you're into even if it's not the race you are it still seems like something weird is happening like someone trying to get an asian baby it's like hey yeah maybe maybe you think they are very cute but maybe you should just not yeah especially when you're a parent it's like yeah you're the aesthetics of your child should not be the number one thing you're looking at when you're adopting a child like their instagram ability should be 
not a factor. Not a factor at all. Negative yeah. two. Uh, yes, yeah. Exactly. I think, yeah, yeah, she kind of simultaneously there fetishizes black women and black men, and it's like, yeah, it's not it's good. so bad. It's not good. So, Melissa, rethink it, okay? Maybe. It's been a few years. I hope you've changed. Deconstruct your. <laughs> Your ideas about race. Your BBL. (laughs) Um, Okay, fabulous. So should we do some... Do you have a quote from the Instagram face article? Because I pulled one that I can start us out. Yeah, please start us out. I do have a quote, um, but I want to hear yours. Okay. So this is uh, early on in the article. It just set up the whole vibe of Instagram so well. And we haven't talked about Instagram that much, but it's really the undercurrent of this whole thing because I don't think we would see as many aesthetic changes in society globally if it wasn't for mm-hmm. Instagram. So I loved this initial uh, few sentences here. Instagram, which launched as the decade was just beginning in October 2010, has its own aesthetic language. The ideal image is always the one that instantly pops on a phone screen. The aesthetic is also marked by a familiar human aspiration, previously best documented in wedding photography toward a generic sameness. Accounts such as InstaRepeat illustrate the platform's monotony by posting grids of indistinguishable photos posted by different users, a person in a yellow raincoat standing at the base of a waterfall, a hand holding up a bright fall leaf. Some things just perform well. So I think we can all picture picture the (laughs) kinds of images that would be on this insta repeat account you know the person on the precipice of a mountain with the clouds behind them the person in a boat in the middle of a river like the latte it's the bo burnham song okay Mm -hmm. we've all been there yeah yeah um but i i find the language of instagram really interesting and compelling like i hate that it works on me but it does kind of a situation um, so that I thought set up the whole, um, role that Instagram plays in this Instagram face situation mm-hmm. very well. Yeah. I get it though. It's pretty, it's pretty to look it at. Is. And ultimately mm-hmm. humans psychologically are drawn to pictures of other humans and bright colors and pictures of food and, uh, pictures that, you know are attractive of of attractive people yeah they like give us some kind of serotonin somehow Mm -hmm. so we are drawn into them yeah so it's not surprising that a platform that's giving you all of that in an endless scroll is attractive Mm -hmm. to people yeah Um, but yeah it is fascinating how ubiquitous those images have become and how it has really turned into a visual language where if you are an influencer, you can almost be guaranteed that certain things will be true about their accounts and how they present themselves. And that part of it is, I don't know, pretty, I don't know. I keep saying interesting because to me, it's like a sociological thing, right? We're watching humans interact with this, like, because they're attracted to it, but also because they're fascinated by it. Yes. And I do feel that fascination with it when I notice that it's working on me. Sometimes I will feel this sense, like when I'm at my house, if I don't have something I have to do, but I feel the need to be productive, 
sometimes I will find myself reaching for Instagram or TikTok to have it tell me what I should be doing. Like I will scroll until I find like someone cleaning their apartment in this deep clean. And it gives me this like need to not compete, but like live up to this ideal that gets me motivated to do something. Mm -hmm. And so I use it sometimes as this like way to like, it feels like I'm asking it to tell me what to do with my life. And I notice it and it's just like such a bizarre effect that it has, (laughs) but it obviously has that effect with the, like I'll do it with clothes too, or like Mm. other ways of being. And I haven't been pushed so, so much towards the cosmetic stuff. Although as like I have passed 30, I definitely feel it more, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So I can, I can understand how people would turn to it to tell them what they should make their faces look like. Yeah, for sure. It's like, again, it's a social thing of all humans emulate each other to a certain extent. And maybe even though you don't follow conventional fashion or whatever, you still emulate someone in your social circle or a lot of someone's in your social circle. Or maybe you emulate someone you wish to be like, but you aren't yet like. And I think we all do that to a certain extent. So it's not surprising that seeing these homogenous images over and over allows us to do that a little bit better or in some ways a little bit more efficiently. Yeah, I I definitely think it. I don't know if you feel this way with like putting on makeup or anything like that, but you need to see someone else doing a new trend or something a a number of times before you absorb it enough to reproduce it. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, same with, like, outfits or whatever you're trying to do. Like, the more we see this face, the better we are at imitating it. Mm -hmm. And so it is more efficient because we're seeing it constantly. And so with the makeup we choose, the cosmetic procedures we choose, whatever, the filter we choose, I don't know. We're getting better and better at replicating this face because we've seen it so many times. You know, if you ask me to like mix paint to make blue without showing me what blue looks like, I can make it immediately because I know what it looks like. Sure. You know? Yeah. So it's like that where we've seen it so much that we can just replicate it Mm -hmm. much more easily. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My quote is kind of along the same lines for this article. Um, So... It, again, goes back to the the racial aspect a bit as well. Uh, So this quote says, uh, there was something strange I said about the racial aspect of Instagram face. It was as if the algorithmic tendency to flatten everything into a composite of greatest hits had resulted in a beauty ideal that favored white women capable of manufacturing a look of rootless exoticism. Absolutely, Smith said, who was a makeup artist she was talking with for the article. We're talking an overly tan skin tone, a South Asian influence with brows and eye shape, an African-American influence with the lips, a Caucasian influence with the nose, a cheek structure that is predominantly Native American and Middle Eastern. And I think what struck me about this is, again, that kind of algorithmic tendency to flatten everything into a composite of greatest hits. Mm -hmm. It's obviously something that is most achievable, for white women to manufacture and Mm -hmm. therefore becomes something that again is mostly accessible through privilege. Uh, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it is this, uh, you know, it's like 
I don't know if you ever saw like those National Geographic covers or I don't even know what magazine cover I have in my mind where they would kind of um, have different faces edited together. And it kind of reminds me of that, of like, Mm -hmm. in some ways, this is supposedly (laughs) taking the best features from the global from races all over the globe but Mm. in another way it's really only accessible because white women are surgically constructing this face starting with a white face and white privilege and white money Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Yeah, and so yeah I don't know I just thought that quote was really interesting and um Mm. the the algorithm side of it is also kind of fascinating yeah, well, and I think that's part of what pushed people towards that anyways, because it's what's performing so well. Mm-hmm. And it might, maybe it's performing so well because people are drawn to this, you know, perfect aesthetic ideal that does combine all of our favorite things from various people groups. Mm-hmm. And, you know, perhaps that's why it performs so well. I assume so. But the fact that it performs well because we aesthetically like it just means that more and more people wish to achieve it. Right. And then another weird thing that I was thinking of was that, like, because in one of the, I think it was in the BBL article, there was, like, a brief mention of eugenics, which, if anyone doesn't know, it's this essentially desire to breed ugliness and dysfunction out of the human race. And usually it's very racist, unfortunately. Not that there's any good thing about it. I mean, that seemed like there was an argument for eugenics. Mm. <laughs> That's not what I was trying to do. <laughs> anyway, ugh. okay. As, if it wasn't racist, it would be fine. Okay. No, that's not what it was. Anyway, um, the thing that's so weird is that, like, plastic surgery, of course, could never replace eugenics. Not that you are trying, again, <laughs> to have eugenics. But because plastic surgery doesn't change our genetic makeup. Right, right. So even if you achieve the ideal of beauty if you reproduce your children don't have ideal beauty genes they have whatever you started with right right which obviously you know that i'm not explaining something you don't know but i just felt like it was such a weird thing where you can't reproduce it though like you can't right right for free anyway no that's a hundred percent true like i think i thought about eugenics a lot too as i was reading this because that's Mm -hmm. really like kind of what it's verging on, right, is that if you just bred out all of these human features that were not this supposed ideal beauty, then people would be more beautiful. Uh, but in this way, they're basically doing that. It's just not a longevity thing. It's something that lasts for this one person in this one generation. But obviously, you're not yeah. changing your DNA. So, right. you know, if you have children, they'll look like your natural self, which should be fine. Yeah. It should totally. <laughs> but it, I, I feel like this is some joke in a movie or, or a TV show or something about how like, your kids are going to end up with the nose that you had before your nose job. Like, <laughs> but actually, <sorry>. like, <laughs> and I think this is the part for me that makes me feel very bad about all of this is that mm-hmm. I do genuinely believe that we're all given one body and you have whatever, you have the right to do whatever you wish with your body so long as it is not harming anyone else. And in that way, I'm not opposed to plastic surgery. I'm not opposed to whatever because I've made modifications to my body so that I can live. I, I'm a cyborg. <laughs> I wear an insulin pump. Um, yeah. 
But, you know, I also think that the part that becomes really gross to me is like, again, where is this want to change your body coming from? Which is just, again, a big question mark because it's so individual. And then also this like hinting at eugenics that, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to have flaws lest you Mm -hmm. be unworthy to exist and so that that part of it is really like gets me as being something that makes me incredibly uncomfortable and sad and I just don't know really how to like express it other than that but and another layer to the eugenics versus plastic surgery thing obviously if you aren't breeding it into people so you're changing yourself to look that way once you are an adult that leaves children in this really horrible position where they are born with the normal genes, but they're looking at all these adults who have changed their bodies to look, you know, idealized, but they're still stuck in normal person genes in the time when they're evolving and becoming who they are. Yeah. So it's really very damaging to their it's psyche. Super damaging. Yeah. yeah because they obviously would not advocate for a child to get plastic surgery but they're comparing their normal features to those that have been changed by plastic surgery and i think it's really if it is difficult for us as adults who didn't grow up with instagram always in our faces i really can't imagine how much of a struggle it is with like young children now to like try to protect them from that stuff. Yeah. Actually, this brings me to my question I have for you. Ooh, yes, and I, I want to be clear, this is not a conversation about legality, but mm-hmm. do you think that these kinds of cosmetic surgeries, the Brazilian butt lift in particular, because it's so dangerous is mm. ethical that's such a good question. And I, I don't I don't want it to be a legal argument because you could argue a lot of things are not shouldn't be legal or should be legal based mm-hmm. on other people's like specific versions of of ethical behavior. Like so right. I think it I don't really care about the the legal side of things. But I'm curious if you personally think that this is ethical behavior by the doctors. Wow. Um I honestly don't know. I don't know either. (laughs) I feel like very torn between being like, obviously no. And being like, yeah, life is not that simple. Like people voluntarily walked into a doctor's office and asked for this. Mm -hmm. There's a recommended amount that you, a fat you should take out and put in and people push those limits. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing it as safely as possible and someone's asked for it, then it's hard to say that that's not ethical, even though it's like deeply ill-advised. Right, right. No, I I agree with that. But then on the other hand, I'm like, but so many of the women that are coming in here seem to need perhaps to be diagnosed with body dysmorphia and not a surgical fix. That's a good point. And so I'm kind of like, in that regard, it does feel unethical for a medical professional to tell you, Let's just surgically change that, mm-hmm. even though that maybe the source of this want is actually mental and it's body dysmorphia and they're seeing things that maybe are not entirely accurate. I don't know. 
Well, I do think that there's an element to plastic surgery that maybe you can't go so far as to say that it's inherently predatory, but it seems that way when we live in a society that actively tells women that their bodies aren't good enough 100% of the time to then be selling a solution to that devastating problem. Yeah. It's definitely gross. Because it's a made-up problem, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I agree. And when you factor in how these surgeries are addictive, um, and to know all those things as a medical professional and still be like, no, I'm going to do this. It definitely, it's towing the line of ethical versus non-ethical. And I really think that's a good point that maybe two in 10 people who come in are emotionally very secure and have a healthy relationship with their bodies. But I would argue that the majority of them are not. Yeah. You know? They were trying to resolve an emotional problem with a physical yeah. solution. Obviously, the reporters are not psychologists. I'm not a psychologist. But the understanding that I got from their reporting of the patients or clients or whatever you want to call them uh, was that it did seem that they were asking to fix problems that were maybe not problems, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or that... <sighs> One of those things where maybe you will feel better about your ass in the end, but will you start looking at other parts of your body because you haven't resolved the like wound or whatever it is inside of you that, that can't be satisfied with the way that you look, which like, to be clear, I think all of us have that wound. Like, no, none among us are like totally cool all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Um, ooh, that was such a good question. Mine is a lot more like Ooh, let's have it. Gossipy. <laughs> um have you ever considered a a cosmetic procedure that is either permanent or semi permanent? So not like getting your eyebrows threaded or something like that. Oh not. You know? Okay. Well Yeah, so no not like waxing or something. Okay. But and if you have considered one, what what was it? Or is there like one that you think about that you're like, maybe I do that someday? Like Botox or fillers or um, a boob job. Okay, I don't, know. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like most of mine have been ones that are very not permanent. So I did get my, like, I obviously had, like, waxing done, my eyebrows, whatever. Sure. Yeah. I've also had my um, eyelashes tinted. Ooh. Which is That's also, fun. like, a very non-permanent thing. It's just, like, dyeing your yeah. hair. Kind of, totally. you know. Um, but I think those are the only things that I've actually like had done or considered. Uh, I do think that Botox seems to be pretty like almost standard now. Like I know a lot of chill. Yeah. (laughs) I know a lot of people who have actually just like had that done and it was like a five minute thing in a doctor's office and whatever. My um, GYN office actually started offering Botox, Botox. And I think, you know, it, seems to be bringing in good business or whatever so yeah i you know understand that that happens often but Mm -hmm. yeah i guess i'm i don't know i feel boring that i don't really have a good answer to this no that's i don't have any like super titillating either i haven't had anything like that done besides like you said waxing and i dye my hair and stuff which like doesn't even count um but i've definitely thought about botox or like I'm not sure what, but I just feel like I want to start going to a, like, cosmetic skin place now 
to be like, okay, tell me what I need to do to like keep this together. Okay? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not trying to do anything crazy. I'm just trying to keep it as is. Yeah. What? How what do I do freeze my face for the next 30 years? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is. I so. feel like, yeah, I think, I don't know. I, who knows? Maybe I'll have a different answer to that when I'm like 20 years older than I am right now. But a part of the five, five years older. Yeah. It hits you fast, <laughs> I think a part of it is just like that the idealized version of beauty always includes youth. And so yes, to be somebody absolutely. who's not that old <laughs> that, you know, I, I haven't maybe yet had to deal with it quite as much, but who knows? It might be coming for me. We don't know. Totally. I mean, and the I aging is definitely coming for all of us, yes. but yes, the feelings obviously. about aging, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that that's what I'm experiencing now is years ago, one of my friends told me that on her 30th birthday, she had like a, not even a meltdown, but just like a, a slight crisis and got Botox, <laughs> which I think is like the funniest thing. And I, she told me that when I was like 25, <laughs> I think. And I've thought about it since then. And then in October, I turned 30 and I, I definitely feel the anxiety of age much more fiercely than I used to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, probably it's what happening. will... <laughs> yeah, where it's like, or maybe it's just that I'm so much closer to it happening mm, yeah. than I was at 25. It's you know? starting. And so I feel that, yeah, like, okay, I better make a plan here. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure, like... for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think in terms of, like, aging stuff, I'm like, I mean, if I could get a massage every week to make my neck feel better, that's not cosmetic at all, but it w- I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> a completely different thing. <laughs> I'm like, I just want to be pampered. And some people yeah. feel pampered by going and getting the cosmetic procedures. So I get that That's part true. of it. Although we didn't get into the specifics of the BBL that much, but no one feels pampered after having essentially oh been stabbed no. for liposuction and then having that like shoved back up in their ass. Yeah. <laughs> that was a terrible way of putting that. But you know it's I mean? <laughs> the, I mean, it's accurate. And also it's, I yeah. think like people don't, maybe recognize the role that fat has in our bodies, which is a cushion and a protector and to keep us warm and all of these other things and to carry vitamins from one place to another and all of the different things that like fat actually serves a purpose in our bodies. And we just think of it as like this aesthetic thing that we do or don't want certain places. And it's like, well, it does actually have a function. So when you take it away, your stomach is going to be incredibly sore to touch. You don't have any padding there, you know, like. Totally. Okay. I actually did have a pop culture pairing for this. Oh, I have one too. What's yours? <gasps> Good. Okay. So my pop culture pairing is a movie that stars Aubrey Plaza. It is sort of a thriller. I wouldn't call it a horror movie, uh, but it does have some like kind of horrifying moments. It's called Ingrid Goes West. Oh, yes. I've seen this. And it's about her obsession with a girl who she perceives as really cool and she's an influencer on Instagram and so Aubrey Plaza essentially sets out to be this girl in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways that are very unstable pursuits and it is a really fascinating movie and I think kind of a commentary on on everything we've just talked about in a roundabout way. Yeah, I totally agree. 
mine what if mine was just botched that tv show <laughs> i thought about that and i'm like you know what tlc low-hanging fruit somebody needs to disband tlc it can That's go so true it can go god i it's one of my favorite channels but it's horrifying it is they do everything about all of their it's shows honestly predatory at this nuts. point it's gross the things they the the lives they like are voyeuristic about who are just i saw a mm. disability activist refer to it as a modern day freak show and i think that's yes, accurate that is accurate you're right i was that's like that's why oh, i feel so that gross is about true. it oh boy yeah. oh anyway exactly. okay that's not what we're talking about anyway. go ahead down with tlc <laughs> yeah um until there's another like crazy foot surgery show that I have to watch <laughs> Sorry. So I have two podcasts that I think would be good if you're into this Instagram stuff. The first is called Even the Rich by Wondery. And I forget the two women who host it, but they're really fun and cool. And there is a season. They do like short five week seasons about the Kardashians. Mm. So if you want to learn kind of how they ended up where they are, you can do that. And it was really interesting. Um, and almost commendable in some weird ways. So that one is cool. And then the other one that is a lot more about influencers and the influence that social media has is called Under the Influence by Joe Piazza. And this is about mom influencing. So it is about the rise and evolution and the like chokehold that mom influencers have on society oh that would be fascinating well like well done very nuanced in this balance between how detrimental social media can be and especially to children and when there are children on social media Mm, yeah and like when you're commodifying them but balancing that with the this knowledge that women have been so disempowered for so long and this was a way that moms especially who had very little agency were able to take power back and start earning money and and doing all these things so it's a very cool and they just started season two so that one's a fun one okay that sounds amazing i can't wait to listen to that also mm. while you were talking i thought of a procedure that i have actually thought about getting Oh my God. (laughs) And I'm so glad I remembered it while we're still recording. Okay. So, um, for basically my whole life, since I was like, maybe, I I don't know, forever, for as long as I Mm -hmm. can remember as like an adult, I've had Mm -hmm. varicose veins on my legs. Um, because I have very, very pale skin. You can see my veins pretty clearly. Mm -hmm. And what happens is my, my veins have burst. So it looks like Mm -hmm. I have like many bruises like on my legs at all times which uh i have seen a procedure where they essentially go in and this is sounds so gross they no, i know what you're they essentially say. flush out the broken blood vessels yeah and so yeah. you don't see that on the surface of your skin mm-hmm. so that one it yes. maybe when i hit 30 <laughs> maybe Absolutely. that's what we're doing <laughs> i that's a really good one. I have some as well. I I am very fair skinned, also not quite as much as Kate, but I do have, oh, I have them the like veins. But something that I have that it's probably been the last like three or so years. When I was in high school and I was seventeen, I had a a very intense knee surgery, and I have a like six inch scar on my knee, and 
it was like a whole saga at one point the like incision opened up a little bit it's so ugh. but i hate that scar it's very not attractive and even worse in the last few years the because there's like damage to the skin and everything there are varicose veins forming beneath the scar so it looks like there's a bruise on the scar too and it's just like could this be (laughs) ugly like okay i'm glad i have a leg obviously but you're like shouting at your knee scar like i already hated this part of me this is such a bummer yeah Yeah, you you, i'm like looking at my varicose veins now as we're talking um (laughs) But yeah, I think that's a good one. I'm so glad you thought of that one. Yeah. Yes. Agree. I I only like came across it a couple of years ago, even like knowing that that exists Mm -hmm. and that you can get that Mm -hmm. done. And I was like, hmm. It was like that emoji where he's just got like the hand to his Hmm. chin, like, hmm. Storing that. Yeah. Storing that information. Good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, now time to go get myself an Instagram face. next so we'll talk to you next time on the next episode of raiders digress with more of our bullshit (laughs) 